Hey, it's Morgan. Today we're going to talk about Roman mythology. Now, mythology itself is the study and interpretation of often sacred tales or fables of a culture known as myths or the collection of such stories which usually dial with the human condition, good and evil, human origins, life and death, or the afterlife and gods. From the Greek mythos for a story of people and logos for the word or speech, the spoken story of the people is what mythology is. <clears throat> now, the gods and goddesses um, have been an interest to people from the beginning of time due to not only their strength, but their human attributes that made them more relatable. One might see themselves in a god or goddess, and it makes life bearable. Roman mythology got its start from the Greeks. I don't care what anybody says, they copied from the Greeks. The influence of the Greeks was seen in everything from architecture to adornments of sculptures and temples. In the earliest days, the influence of Greek mythology was heavy in the early stones. Rome was established circa 8th century BCE, and Greek city-states were already well-established, and even some had mythology in writing. Even after the four Macedonian Wars and the colonies would become part of the Roman Empire, Greece had a major impact on their way of life in Rome and the Roman Empire as a whole. Mythology was changing to reflect Roman values. In Roman mythology, the difference between history and myth is almost indistinguishable. Now, Ovid, he was a major early writer in the Roman Empire, and he, he's well known for metamorphosis and fasti. Many early Roman authors wrote on the myths of Rome. Ovid, before his exile by Emperor Augustus, wrote a critical time in history, politically and culturally. The emperor was hoping to reestablish a connection to the Republic's old religion and a reverence for the gods. Ovid penned several works centering both Roman myth and religion. Metamorphosis and Fasti are two of his best-known works. His stories, while mostly Greek, contained Roman names. In Fasti, he portrayed the festivals of the first six months of the old Roman calendar, the legends of the gods, and the origin of many of their rituals. While early Roman mythology maintained a deep connection with the city and its rich history, it centered on one specific legend, the birth of its supposed founders, Romulus and Remus. The Anid, I think I'm saying that right, was written by a Roman poet, Virgil, uh, and he was alive from 70 to 19 BCE. It's a 12-book-long epic poem that describes the early mythology of the founding of Rome. The hero, Aeneas, a Trojan prince and son of Venus, faces trials and tribulations as he escapes Troy, as it burns, and sails the Mediterranean searching for a new home. That would be something I would suggest highly that if you're interested in Roman and Greek mythology that you would read. While the true origin of Rome varies from source to source, historical as well as fictional, one of the earliest to relate the story was Virgil in his 
and Aned. <laughs> I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. Uh, the tale that related to travels of its hero, the Trojan warrior, um, what I had just spoken about. It's been said to exhibit the most complete expression of Roman mythology. In the story, our hero, with the assistance of his mother, the goddess Venus, his father was a mortal, um, he escapes Troy with his father and a number of his fellow soldiers before the city completely succumbed to the Greeks. The story and its connection to the Trojan War gave the Romans a link to the ancient Trojan culture. It should be noted that the story of the Trojan horse comes from Virgil, though mentioned in Homer's Odyssey. With Venus's assistance, the defeated Trojans leave the fallen city and set sail for Italy, where it has been foretold that the Anes would found a city. They traveled first to Greece, and then, as in Homer's tale, are blown off, of course. Jupiter's wife, Juno, constantly interferes with, them, with him throughout the whole story. They land in the African city of Carthage, where our hero meets the beautiful queen, Dido, and, of course, love follows, and he soon forgets his true purpose. Ultimately, the god Mercury intervenes and reminds Aeneas of his destiny, causing him, men, or causing him and his men to reluctantly leave Africa and sail away. Tragically, Queen Dido commits suicide over the loss of her beloved by throwing herself on a burning pyre. Upon landing at Cumae, Aeneas consults Sibyl, an oracle, who leads him to Hades, where he's not only... He's not only encounters his fallen enemies and Queen Dido, but he also meets his recently deceased father, who tells him of the great city, um, tells him of the great city his descendants would establish. Later, after reaching the mouth of the Tiber, the wayward Trojans enter into war with King Ternos of the Rutuli, uh, more of Juno's handiwork. Venus appeals to Vulcan, the Roman version of the Greek god Hep Hephaestus, to make Aeneas a new armor and new weapons, as he has done for Achilles. Turnus was finally defeated and killed in a duel. A peace is ultimately reached with Aeneas, marrying the king's daughter. Supposedly, Jupiter had convinced Juno to end her war with Aeneas, and all is well. Um... This is important to your Roman mythology history. So, Aeneas's descendants became founders of the city of his destiny of Rome. According to the legend, Romulus and Remus were the sons of the war god Mars, and Rhea, Rhea Silvia, daughter of the true king of Alba Longa, Numeter. I have no idea what all of these names are. I'm going to figure this out for you so that I can um, better describe this for you. Um, in a coup, Amulius overthrew his brother and to safeguard his claim to the throne, forced Rhea to join the Vestal Virgins. Now, the Vestal Virgins are a specific set of women who, um, they were magical beings. One day, Mars spied the young Rhea in a sacred wood and raped her. 
She bore two sons who, by order of King Amulus, were thrown into the Tiber. A recent flood caused them to drift ashore at Ficus Romanalis. They were rescued by a she-wolf and a sacred animal of Mars. The wolf was supposedly aided by a woodpecker and other sacred animals of Mars. Later, the boys were adopted by a local herdsman named Festulius and his wife, Aka Lorenta. So, as the years passed, the two future founders of the city became leaders in their community, with Ramus ultimately landing in the king's dungeon. Romulus rescued his brother, and with the assistance of Numeter, disposed of Amulus. Of course, by this time, the boys had learned of their true identity. Together, they founded the city, however, in despite of over-naming the rights of the city, Remus is killed in, in a fit of jealousy, and the city becomes Rome. In one version of the dispute, the boys agreed to watch for omens in a flight of birds, and Romulus won the naming rights, and Remus was killed, supposedly favored by the gods. Um, but Romulus would rule Rome for 40 years. That's the story behind Rome. So then, Roman mythology, like that of the Greeks, contained a number of gods and goddesses. And because of the early influence of the Greece on the Italian peninsula and the ever-present contact with the Greek culture, the Romans adapted not only their stories, but their god, many of their gods, renaming a number of them. One exception to this practice is the god Apollo, the only god whose name is common in both cultures. Originally, before their association, association with the Greeks, Many of the Roman gods were more closely associated with cults rather than myths, as was the case with the Greek hero Hercules, who became um, the Roman champion. Much of this change came, however, when Romans turned from farming to war. So Jupiter influenced every aspect of the Romans' life. Jupiter was their head honcho. Um, his temple on Capitoline Hill was the final destination of many victorious military commanders. Early in the development of Roman mythology, there was Saturn, equivalent to the Greek god Kronos. His temple at the foot of Capiloni Hill included the public treasury and decrees of the Roman Senate. The triad of early Roman cult deities were recreated as Jupiter, Juno, and Minerva. The later was the patron saint of the craftsmen and goddess of school children, later associated with Athena. I'm talking about Minerva there. <clears throat> Jupiter, the sky god, became more akin to the Greek god Zeus. Jupiter influenced every aspect of Roman's life. Um, his temple in the same, on the same hill was the final destination of many victorious military commanders, who would leave a portion of their booty as offering to Jupiter. And by booty, I don't mean booty, booty. I mean winnings. <laughs> His wife and sister, which I still don't understand this, Juno, became reminiscent of Hera, presiding over every facet of Roman women's lives. And in the case of Aeneas, vindictive against those she disliked. Similarly, the, god, the love goddess Aphrodite became Venus, Born from the foams of the sea, while the brother of Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon became Pluto and Neptune, respectively. 
The Greek Artemis was renamed Diana, the goddess of the hunt, while Ares, the war god, was now Mars, who originally had been agricultural god associated with spring, a time of regeneration. March is named for him, by the way. Roman commanders would always make sacrifice to him before battle. And lastly, one must not forget Hermes, the messenger, who turned into Mercury, a minor deity who had at one time been the god of trading and profit, as mentioned, Hercules, the Roman version of Heracles. As in Greece, Roman cities often adopted their own patron deity, but and built temples, <clears throat> excuse me, performing rituals to honor that god. And while the influence of the Greeks is vast, the Roman and the num- Romans had a number of original gods of their own, such as Janus, the two-faced god of doorways and gates. The city gates were open during the time of war and closed during the time of peace, which doesn't make any sense. Similar to the Ecrustian god Culsans, Janus could see both the future and the past. Valued for his wisdom, he presided over the beginnings of all events. There was also Vesta, daughter of Saturn and the goddess of the hearth and family life, whose followers were called the Vestal Virgins. Though linked to the goddess Hestia of the Greeks, she took on her own distinct personality in Roman mythology. Numa, the second king of Rome, founded a cult dedicated to Vesta. Lastly, there was Faunus, the god of nature. He was worshipped as the protector of crops with a festival in December. There were also a number of water gods, vitally important to the farmers as every river and spring had its own deity. Farmers had to appease these gods through a series of offerings. Tiberius was the god of the Tiber, and every May 27th, straw dummies were thrown into the Tiber to pacify him. This is reminiscent of the ancient Rome belie- Roman belief in spirits, supernatural forces that inhabited everything around them, including people. <clears throat> every May, the festival of Lemura was celebrated where the spirits of the dead were exorcised. Many Romans believed they were constantly watched over by the spirits of their ancestors. Now, while many people only think the Greeks when the topic of mythology is considered, Romans had a rich and vibrant mythology of their own. We all have heard in some form the story of the she-wolf and her saving her brothers Romulus and Remus, and in the same way, many other Roman myths have become part of our culture in the present day. To the Greeks and the Romans, myths explained who they were as people and gave them a sense of national pride and understanding of valor and honor and insight to their destiny. So this is going to be a Greek and Roman god and goddess class. We're going to go over um, all of these, the two different names and, you know, what, who, who they were born out of, what just everything about them, everything that I was able to find about them. So next time I do this, we will start with Zeus, um, who is the Greek all father. He is the king of the Olympian gods. So we'll start with him next. But I just wanted to give you a little bit, very little bit of history because there is so much. Um, I had to dwindle it down um, in order to make it a decent listenables podcast and 
I kind of think, think I still failed, <laughs> but, um, please, if you have any questions, just leave me, leave me some questions. Um, this is going to be a very interesting segment series, um, on the Roman and Greek gods and goddesses. So I look forward to hearing from you next time. Hey guys, it's Morgan. We're going to continue on with Roman and Greek gods and goddesses. Um, we're going to start with Zeus. So Zeus was the king of the Olympian gods and the supreme deity in the Greek religion, often referred to as the father, as the god of thunder and the cloud gatherer. He controlled the weather, offered signs and omens, and generally dispensed justice, guaranteeing order amongst both the gods and humanity um, from his seat high on Mount Olympus. So Zeus had a struggle for power, however, of course, as they all do. Uh, Zeus's father was Kronos and his mother was Rhea. Kronos had usurped the control of the heavens from his father, Oranos, and he was constantly weary of not having the same thing happen to him from his own children. So to preempt any takeover, he swallowed all of his children, Hesta, Demeter, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon. However, Rhea, being the mother that she is, saved her youngest child, Zeus, by wrapping him in a stone in swaddling clothes and giving this to Cernonos to swallow. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry, giving it to Kronos to swallow. My bad. So Zeus was spirited away um, in Mount Dykti on the island of Crete, where he was raised by um, a primeval goddess, Gaia, Mother Earth, or in some versions, by the nymphs. Amongst this, um, amongst these was the nymph Amalithea. In some versions of the myth, she was a goat, um, but in this one, she's a nymph. Um, she suckled the young god. On reaching adulthood, Zeus made Kronos cough back up the children he had swallowed, and Zeus then married his sister, Hera. I'm really confused on why there's all this ancestral marriage going on. But hey, I didn't write this stuff. Um, however, the lawless titans, encouraged by Gaia, immediately tried to wrestle control of the world from the Olympian gods in a 10-year battle known as the Tychotomy. The titans were the brothers and sisters of Kronos. I'm sorry. Yeah, of Kronos. And it was only through help of the Cyclops, who made Zeus his legitimate lightning bolts, and the hundred-handed giants, um, or Hecaton Kyries. I cannot say these some of these words. They, they just throw letters together, I swear to God. Um, that the hundred-handed giants, that Zeus was finally able to imprison the titans in Tardis, the deepest part of the underworld, making himself ruler of the skies. Zeus then gave dominion over the seas to Poseidon and of the underworld to his brother Hades. Olympians still could not reign peacefully, though, for Gaia then enlisted the help of the terrible and savage giants to battle with Zeus in the giant giantachomy. <laughs> oh my gosh, some of these words. I swear they make them up. The Olympians were this time helped by the great hero Hercules, and after Zeus outwitted Gaia on her 
in her attempt to give the giants a magic herb, they once again won the battle for control of the world. Not, however, before the giants had created great destruction by moving mountains, islands, and rivers. Zeus's reign was only once more challenged when some of the gods, notably Hera, Athena, and Poseidon, tried to take over Zeus's role as head of the Olympian gods and bound him to his bed. The father was, however, freed by one of the ten-handed giants, and his status was restored. So, although Zeus was first married to the titan Metis, and then married to Hera, Zeus was infamous for his adulterous affairs, um, during which he often transformed himself into various um, incarnations to bed his prey, so to speak. Um, he therefore had many, many, many offspring. <laughs> um, there's quite a list here. I'm going to go through them and who who his baby mama is. Um, so he had... Hephaestus, Ares, Hebe, and Elithia with Hera. Athena with Metis, but as Zeus swallowed his wife in fear, a son would usurp his position. Athena was born from Zeus's head, and she became God's, the god's favorite child. Apollo and Artemis he had with Leto. Hermes was with, with the nymph Maya. Zeus, impressed by his trickery and silver tongue, gave him the role of messenger to the gods. That's how Hermes got his job. Dionysus, he had with Samil, who, um, being tricked by a jealous Hera, asked to see Zeus in all his godly splendor and immediately expired as a consequence. Dionysus was born from Zeus's thigh as a result of his mother's premature death. Hercules he had with Alchemine and was therefore forever the subject of a jealous Hera's scheming, but on his death, um, Zeus brought him to Mount Olympus and made him into a god. So Hera is a very jealous woman. Why she didn't just leave the guy, I'll never know, but this wouldn't fly in our current <laughs> day and age. Perseus with Danae, who was won over by the charms of Zeus when he appeared to her as a golden rain in order to enter her chamber where she was imprisoned by her father. Persephone and Icus he had with Demeter. Um, the fates, the hours, the seasons, Eunomia, Dyke, Erin, he all had with Themis. Um, Helen and the Dioscori and Polydeuces with Leda, for whom he transformed himself into a swan. Algea, Euphorosine, and Thalia, which are the three graces he had with Uranome, Minos, Radmiathus, and Sarpedion. I can't say that. I'm going to put these up on the page. So because you can look at these and be like, oh, yeah, she really she really butchered that. Um, but those three he had with Europa after Zeus disguised himself as a magnificent white bull and whisked her off to Crete. 
Ephesus he had with Io. Iazon with Electra, Arcus with the nymph Callisto, and the nine muses with Nemesine after the couple slept together for nine consecutive nights. So Zeus was regarded as the founder of certain races as well, notably the Magnesians and the Macedonians. He had also turned ants into the magnificent fighting Myrodons for his son Iacos, later to be led by Achilles in the Trojan War. Zeus is a hoe, is pretty much what we're getting at. <laughs> um, Zeus as the Punisher. Um, the god was also the great Punisher. Um, those who did wrong or committed acts of impiety were severely punished, often for all time. The Titans were imprisoned in, imprisoned in Tardis, and after acts of impiety against Zeus, Apollo, and Poseidon, after, okay, I'm not reading this properly. The Titans were imprisoned in Tardis, and after acts of impiety against Zeus, Apollo and Poseidon were made to build the magnificent walls of Troy, which proved so useful in the Trojan War. An explanation for the war in mythology was that Zeus sought to curb the rising population of humanity. Zeus also selected Paris as the judge in the famous beauty contest between Aphrodite, Hera, and Athena. And when the young prince won Helen as his reward for choosing Aphrodite, it was cited as another more human cause for the Trojan War. Other victims of Zeus's vengeance included the titan Prometheus, who was condemned to have his liver eaten by an eagle every day after he stole fire from the gods and gave it to humankind. Atlas had to support the heavens for eternity because of his role in the Tychonomy. Sisyphus, Sisyphus punished for his trickery, was condemned to forever roll a huge stone up a hill in the underworld. Alphesis was killed by one of Zeus's thunderbolts because the former medicine and his ability to raise the dead threatened the balance of power between men and gods. Pandora was the first woman sent to the underworld, oh, sent into the world by Zeus as a punishment for receiving the gift of fire. As she was to be the source of all mankind's misfortunes, carried her, with her a box, Pandora's box. Phineas, who was tricked by Hera into blinding his two sons, was himself blinded by Zeus, who also sent harpies to continuously harass him. Ion, Ixon, rashly declared his love for Hera, and so Zeus banished him to Hades to be forever bound to a rotating wheel. Lycoon gave human flesh to Zeus to test his divinity, and the god punished his impudence by turning him into a wolf, hence the term lichens. Salmonius thought he was a god and pretended to be Zeus by throwing flaming torches for lightning bolts and riding his chariot to make noise like thunder. But Zeus swiftly put a stop to his antics by killing him instantly with a real lightning bolt. The list goes on and on, but the message is clear. Wrongdoing and lack of respect would be severely punished by Zeus. However, Zeus was also a peacekeeper. 
So despite the terrible punishments Zeus could inflict, he was also a peacemaker, famously re reconciling Apollo and Hermes when they fought over the first liar. Similarly, Zeus resolved the conflict between Apollo and Hercules over the tripod from Delphi. He also persuaded Hades to part with Persephone for part of each year and so to end the terrible drought her mother had caused for the human race in protest at being held captive in the underworld. For mere mortals, Zeus was at least fair-minded, and his, at his feet, Zeus had the jars of fate, one full of bad things, another full of good things, and he dispensed both with justice. Similarly, the time of mortals' death was carefully weighed in Zeus on Zeus's golden scales. Zeus had an oracle, the oldest in fact, at Donata in the northern in northern Greece, where aesthetic priests I'm sorry, where some priests served as an oracle which interpreted the sounds from the wind and in the branches of the sacred oak trees and the babbling of water from the Holy Spring. So this oracle was able to interpret what all of these sounds meant from the water, from the trees uh, knocking together because the wind ran through. It, that's amazing. Another great sanctuary dedicated to Zeus was at Olympia, where every four years from 776 BCE, the Olympic Games drew crowds from all parts of the Greek world to honor the father of the gods and where a hundred oxen were sacrificed to Zeus at the end of each of the games. Also at Olympia, the massive 5th century BCE temple of Zeus housed the gigantic golden ivory statue of the god by Phidias, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Other important sacred sites for the god were Mount Lycaios in Athens, Nemea, Pergamon, Stratos, and in Libya. There were surprisingly few festivals in honor of Zeus. Uh, one was the Dasia of Athens. Generally, though, Zeus, as the head of the Greek pantheon, was omnipresent, so it made no particular attachments to specific cities. Zeus was, however, worshipped in most family homes, where an altar was often dedicated to him in each courtyard. For as Zeus he protected the family hearth and property in general. He was also known as Zeus Zenos, the god of hospitality, Zeus Polius, protector of the cities, Zeus Horkios, guardian of oaths, and Zeus Soter, the protector of general benefactor to all. Zeus was a lot of places in Greece. Um, representations in art. Um, as we all know, the Greeks were, were big on art and of course we're going to, you know, that, that's how everyone has done it throughout time. Um, they've put their gods and goddesses into their artwork or have done these particular um, erected buildings in honor of these gods and goddesses. So, of course, why would Zeus not be in art? <laughs> in Greek art, Zeus is almost always bearded and carries either a lightning bolt or a scepter. He's also strongly associated with bulls, oak trees, and eagles. 
One of the latter sometimes appears at his side when he does not have his lightning bolt or scepter. Zeus is a central figure in the east pediment of the Par- Par- Parthenon. Parthenon, geez Louise. But without doubt, the most majestic representation of the god is the bronze statue from Artesium, Art- Artemisium. There we go where he confidently stands feet wide apart about to launch a thunderbolt. Some scholars believe the figure is Poseidon, but the art historian Jay Boardman presents the convincing argument that the stance is much more familiar to representations of Zeus in Greek art. And if the figure held a trident, it would be obscure, it would obscure the face and undesirable aesthetic consequence for the Greek sculpture. Greek pottery is another rich source of the myths involving Zeus. In particular, scenes representing his many metamorphoses and Zeus also appeared on many coins, notably those of Elis. Now, the pottery, I think, is so freaking cool because they made these bowls. They made these 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 jars, these pottery items with scenes in them that included Zeus and other gods and goddesses. They are so awesome. So if you get a chance, look up some of the Greek art and Greek pottery from back in the day. That's Zeus finally done. (laughs) Um, Next, we'll drone on about Jupiter. We'll learn all about Jupiter and his craziness and see how it compares with... um, the Roman and how the Roman and the Greek compare. So thanks for listening. Uh, Don't forget we are listener supported. Uh, Like our Facebook page on Facebook. You can look us up facebook.com backslash witches cauldron W I T C H S C A U L D R O N 19. So check us out. And uh, definitely if you can, we are listener supported throw us a couple of bucks. We'd appreciate it. Um, Thank you for listening. And if there's anything else you'd like to learn, drop us a line. Have a good day.